You're listening to a podcast of The River in Durant, Oklahoma. Join us Sundays at 10 a.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Or learn more about us online at theriverdurant.com. So anyway, I'm going to bring Miss Whitney up here so she can introduce her wonderful husband. I had a few more minutes to think, and I thought of another announcement. <laughs> we are having baptisms next week. Um, I think a few people have already talked to Pastor Ann about it. So um, we're going to do that next week. And if anybody else wants to be baptized, come talk to me or Israel or Tamara. And uh, we'll get y'all on the list, okay? So next, I get to announce our speaker for today, my husband, Israel. (laughs) All right. Let me turn on my notes here. Got a little bit of a ring. Woo! All right. We're going to open up to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verse 5. 2 Thessalonians 3. Five. Joshua, my youngest, well, my second youngest son, I'm about to say youngest, um, you probably see him coming up here to the front for prayer every week, but uh, he starts off like, he's gotten to where he pretty much starts off every day, but he comes up to me and he's like, and it's, it's become earlier and earlier, but like today it was first thing out of his room, he comes up to me, it's a good day, isn't it, dad? It's a good day, like already it is like you, you, it was it was just you got to sleep in until you wanted to wake up I, okay yeah it's a good day that's a that's a form of faith right there and it is a good day we can decide in the morning sometimes that, that we'll make a day a good day when we can control our emotions when we can control our our thoughts when we when we take every thought captive to the leading of Christ uh, we can Instead of being directed by the situation, we can make a decision of how we're going to be affected. And that can be hard, huh? But uh, 2 Thessalonians 3, 5. I'm going to wait for them to put it up on the screen for us. It says, The Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. We want the Lord to direct our hearts. Thank you, Jesus. God, we thank you for your word right now. Holy Spirit, you are the great teacher. And we believe that you are going to give us the spirit of revelation this morning, Jesus. God, that you're going to open up your word to us, that you're going to speak to us. And God, that we're going to receive something from you today, Jesus, a download from your Holy Spirit. We're ready to receive from you, Jesus. We thank you for this day. And God, God, we do pray for Pastor Ann and Dr. Holler as they're not here with us today. We ask that you would bless them and move in their lives today. Bless Pastor Ann's mom. God, thank you for for uh, giving giving a, a good report in the process that had to happen here. But God, we ask for a quick recovery for her in Jesus' name. And we pray for Jason Berwick. God, that you would meet him in the hospital, meet him where he's at. And Jesus, we're expecting miracles in his life, Jesus. We want to see him continue to, to move forward in his healing. God, we thank you that it is your desire for us to prosper and be in health, even as our souls prosper and are in health. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. So the Lord, direct your hearts. Everybody here, I know, is familiar. I know it's old, so maybe maybe not the youngest ones in the room, but but almost everybody in here has to have heard the song, Jesus Take the Wheel, right? Okay. Yeah, it's probably like the greatest cliche of all times. I liked it when Medea kind of made fun of it a little bit. And, you know, guy driving to a funeral, just, oh, 
Jesus, take the wheel. I can't do it anymore. You know, he just let, closes his eyes, takes his hands off the wheel while he's driving. Everybody else is like taking the wheel for him instead of Jesus. Um, and the song, of course, you know, is, is kind of comparing a car crash and, you know, in, in events in your life that you can't control and so you finally give up and let God take the wheel, right? Um, now, a lot of us live our lives kind of that way. We're like, Jesus, take the wheel when I can't handle it anymore. But he doesn't just want to take the wheel when you can't handle things, when you're at your wit's end. He wants to take the wheel of your life every day, right? He doesn't want you to get to the point that you can't handle anything and you have to just give up and surrender. Now, we all get there. We forget. We forget to follow God's leading sometimes when we start to just do things our own way. And, and sometimes it takes those events to remind us, hey, I need to let go and let God take care of things. But God wants more than just the wheel of those events. And he wants more than just the wheel of your life. Sometimes we're able to let God help us make decisions. We're able to, to let God give us some influence on which way to go in our lives. But he wants also to direct our hearts. He wants to take the wheel of our hearts. And that's a hard thing sometimes. A lot of people are like, my emotions are my emotions. How I'm feeling is how I'm feeling. And I want to feel how I'm feeling. Don't tell me anything different. I feel upset and I'm going to stay that way. Now, I, I am a I am a pretty punctual person. Like, that's one of those things you don't want to say because as soon as you say it, you're going to show up late to the next thing and people are going to be like, right, yep, you sure you sure you are. You know, but, but there's, there's two problems with punctuality. Number one, nobody's there to appreciate it. Okay, yeah. And, and number two, punctuality is really the curse of, of knowing exactly how late everyone else is. And... Uh, that, that's my biggest problem right there is, is I, when, when I think something's like important and we need to be there on time, when I'm there and somebody else is late, like it immediately starts ticking in my brain. The clock is ticking. I can hear it louder and louder every second. It's like, where are they? Why aren't they here? And like, you know, you're like five minutes late and I'm like starting to get frustrated 10 minutes, an hour, you know, and literally, uh, there was, I, I, I always hesitate to tell, tell stories about, people that aren't in the distant past, but I got to, I got to tell it because this is really, this is more a story about me. So, so he's, he's not here, but if you happen to like see this from somebody putting it on, on Facebook or something, you know, don't take offense, uh, buddy, uh, <laughs> but I had an employee show up an hour and a half late to work the other day <laughs> on a very important day when, uh, we were really trying to get stuff done and, I am just like, you know, five minutes in, I'm like, eh, you know, because like I said, I, I get I get a little bit ahead of things. Five minutes, I should just be relaxing, right? It's not that big of a deal, you know? So I'm, I'm kind of, okay, okay, don't give for, you know, 30 minutes, it's like, okay, now what's up here? And then, then an hour, it's like, I'm seething. I'm just like, my blood is boiling. I can't think straight. I'm not working well because I'm just like, oh my goodness, what is happening here? And then an hour and a half late, he gets there and I'm just like, I can't even be in the room with you. Like, <laughs> I have to work over here. Go do this. I'm going to work. And like the whole time in my head, even even as, you know, he wasn't even there yet, like an hour, I just hear this voice like, like you've never been late for anything. You know, like you've never needed mercy. Like you've never needed some grace. Like you never disappointed a boss or, or a customer or a friend. You know, like and how many times have I given you mercy, Israel? And I'm thinking, not right now, God. <laughs> Like, even thinking about it, I'm getting, like, worked up. I'm like, not right now, God. I just want to be, I want to be mad. I want to be upset right now. <laughs> um, and, of course, you know, your bosses have a right to, to 
you know, be upset if you're late. I'm not telling you, like, go tell your boss, hey, God's giving you grace, you know. Um, but, you know, that those negative emotions, those, that anger that was welling up inside of me wasn't helping me. I really was not thinking straight. I was not working well. And, uh, and after a little bit, I did, I started to calm down. I'm like, okay, just, you know, let it go. Let it go. Relax. You know, give it to God. And, and the day went much, much smoother after that. Everything was good. Everything was good. You know, we still had a conversation about, uh, punctuality, but, but the day went much better after I gained control of my emotions and, and let the anger go, you know, and, and gave mercy because like I said, I've had, I've needed mercy a million times myself. I need grace every day. So, so we let it go. But there, but there is this part of us that just doesn't want God to, you just get out of my head, God. Like, like you can tell me, you know, if I'm asking you, like, should I take this job? Okay. You know, if I'm asking you, will you heal me? Yeah. You know, but, but when I want to feel upset, or when I feel an emotion that I should not be feeling, uh, that's, that's none of your business, Jesus. <laughs> but God doesn't want just the wheel of your life. He wants to direct your heart. It says direct your heart into the love of God. And, and, I, yeah. Give Jesus permission to tell you how to feel. Say, God, God, tell me how to feel. Tell me, tell me how to, how to deal with this situation. God, I ask that you would give me your mercy for others. God, I ask that you would give me your love for others. God, I ask that you would help me to forgive. God, I ask that you would help me to feel your joy despite the situation. God, I ask that you would help me to start off this day saying this is a good day. This is going to be a good day. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. So, the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God. God's love is revealed primarily in the person of Jesus. You know, we look at Romans as one of the most solid sources of theology and doctrine in the Bible. And I believe that is very true. And Romans is a great place for you to read as a new Christian, especially if you're wanting to understand, you know, what you've gotten yourself into, you know, what, what God has done for you, what is expected from you, all this. Romans is a great place to start. Um, but if you really want to know about who God is, if you really want to know about the love of God and the person of God and the character of God, uh, there's nowhere better then the Gospels, the story of Jesus, God incarnate, God become man. John, to me, is, is the perfect book just of, of just this beautiful story of the love of God and of God's mercy and of God's grace. It's one of the first places in the Bible where it's really revealed God's grace and, and of salvation by faith, that he says that if you believe in me, you've already crossed over from death to life. You have eternal life and you will not be judged. That's in the book of John. But the Bible says that his love was revealed to us in sending his only son for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were enemies of God, he came. And so we look at the life of Jesus and we see the life and the death, the coming and the resurrection of Jesus. All through this, we see this picture of God's love. We see the way he treats his disciples. We see the way he treats the people that nobody else would respect. 
that he was, you know, always accused of, of hanging out with prostitutes, tax collectors, sinners, that he would spend time with people that nobody else thought was worthy of spending time with, that nobody else dared to be associated with. He valued them. He saw them as special. He saw them as important, and he loved them. He didn't turn away the woman who, who came and you know, poured out the alabaster flask on his feet, or the woman who came and washed his feet with her tears. And they're like, oh, do you know who this woman is? She shouldn't be in here. And even when they drag the woman caught in adultery to his feet and are like, hey, we're supposed to kill her, right? And he draws in the sand and says, ah, those of you without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. And as they leave, you know, he says, where are your accusers? And she says, there are, there are, they're all gone. There are none. He says, neither do I accuse you. Go your way and sin no more. That he, that he loved this woman, that he cared for her. You see, his love in, in, for the disciples, as he was taking care of their needs, as even taxes came due, and he's like, okay, you're having trouble paying taxes, Peter. Go fishing. You'll find a coin in the fish's mouth. You know, we'll, we'll get this taken care of. And as Peter comes to him and says, God, no, he doesn't call him God, sorry. He says, Jesus, because he doesn't understand he's God yet. But he says, how many times I got to forgive these guys? And he doesn't, you know, you got to wonder what, what was leading up to this. Because he doesn't tell you, it doesn't tell you the story. But you got to imagine, like, they were out around the fire, and they were, like, maybe picking on Peter, saying something they shouldn't. or You know, they were maybe giving him a hard time about, hey, you know, remember that time when Jesus said, get behind me, Satan, to you? Yeah, that's pretty good, Peter. You got a big mouth, dude. And, and he's like, God, he's like, Jesus. How many times have I got to forgive these fools? Like, how many times can they say this stuff and I'm just expected to get over it? And Jesus, eh, 70 times 7, do the math. Peter's looking around for his phone, get a calculator out. Like, how, do, how, many, how many times is that? And the reason Jesus told him to forgive that many times is, is just because that's how many times he'd forgive Peter. That he didn't expect anything of us that he wasn't doing already. That he was already forgiving. That he was already let, not holding their sins against them. You see, the, you see the love of Jesus so beautifully as he goes to the cross. And as he, as he lets Judas kiss him, the man who I kiss, that's the, that's the man, arrest him. He know, and Jesus knows what's happening. And Judas comes up and, and kisses Jesus, betraying him, the Roman soldiers. And Jesus lets him. Like, you don't even want that person near you, right? And then Peter comes up and cuts off one of their, one of their ears, and Jesus says, no, no. Picks up the ear, puts it back on his face, <laughs> puts it back on his head, and then goes with them willingly. Willingly like a lamb to the slaughter. Every, every step of Jesus' life is just full of, of the love of God. That he was so kind, that he was so patient, that he was so giving, that he gave his life. And, and really, the ultimate picture is the cross. Because, you know, the resurrection is, is such an empowering image of the new life we've been given, of the promise of resurrection that we've been given. You know, it is the ultimate victory over death. And so, so we, you know, we love Easter, we love celebrating Christ's resurrection, but we can't forget the cross. We have, it's easy not to forget the cross. Now we have a giant wall full of crosses back here. Um, but, 
But we can't forget the cross because that is the real symbol of God's love for us. That he loved you so much that he was willing to let them put the crown of thorns on his head. That he was willing to let them beat him to where he didn't even look like a man anymore. That he let them put the nails through his hands. And when they did, said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That, that while he's hanging on the cross, he's then sharing God's love with the man next to him, who is an actual criminal who had earned his place on the cross. And he says, tonight you'll be with me in paradise. He, he offers forgiveness right there. Such a great picture of God's love. And yet, sometimes it's, it's so hard for us to love each other. Amen. But you know what? When he says, Lord, direct your hearts into the love of God, while, while I think you know, there, there is an aspect of that that is meant for you to learn to love those around you, you're not going to learn to love those around you until you know how much you are loved by God. Uh, I've shared this a few times, but you know, everybody always points to the new commandments, or the new commandments, the two commandments that Jesus gave. He said, you know, love Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. But those are not new commandments in the New Testament. They are both straight out of the Old Testament. They were both there, almost word for word, in the Old Testament. But Jesus did give a new commandment. And he told his disciples it was a new commandment. He said, a new commandment I give you. Love each other as I have loved you. Now, he had already told them to love each other, right? The Old Testament had already told them to love each other. What was unique about this command was that he was, they were told to love each other as he loved them. Before they could do that, they had to understand. They had to know how he loved them. They had to experience God's love for them. That's the unique part about this. You're not going to learn to love those around you. You're not going to be able to love those around you until you understand you are loved. Man, when you feel, al when you feel alone, when you feel hated, when you feel rejected, it makes you want to isolate yourself. It makes you dislike other people. It makes you dislike yourself. But when you know that you are loved, when you know that you are valued, it changes the way you see the world. You need to know the way God loves you. Now, how many of you guys know the song, How He Loves Us? Aww. My boy. Um, so you all know the song, How He Loves Us. Uh, probably you know it from, from uh, David Crowder Band or maybe uh, Kim Walker Smith. The actual writer, though, is John Mark McMillan. And uh, there's one verse to it that most of you probably don't know, unless I've shared it before, because I forget what stories I've told sometimes, but... Um, if you hear the original version, there's an extra verse that we don't sing in church. And just, just to refresh your memory, you know, how he loves, it's the, he is jealous for me, loves like a hurricane, I am a tree, you know, sloppy wet kiss and all that. How he loves us, oh, he loves us, how he loves us so. And the last verse starts out, I thought about you the day Stephen died. And that's because this song was written the day after he found out that his best friend had been in a car accident, and then subsequently died. And he said, I thought about you the day Stephen died, and I met you between my breaking. I know that I still love you, God, despite the agony. 
Some people, they try to tell me you're cruel. But if Stephen could speak, he'd say it's not true. Because you're good and you love us. Oh, how you love us. In this terrible moment where he had lost his best friend and he was going through the grieving process, he found the love of God in his heart. He didn't blame God. He didn't, he, he, maybe there was a part of him that was angry at God. But somehow in this situation, he could hear his friend in heaven just singing, God, you're good. I love you, Jesus. You love us, Jesus. Let the Lord direct your heart so that even in the, in the tough times, we can have the love of God. That you have the love of God. Love which is patient, kind, long-suffering. A love which keeps no record of wrongs. That love is yours in Christ Jesus. And He loves you. Whatever you're going through, and he asks you to extend that same love to those around you. Even when, they've, even when they've wronged you. Just like when they wronged him on the cross. And he says, Father, forgive them. Let the love of God, and the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patient waiting for Christ. Actually, if we read that in the NIV, I think it's actually more accurate in my opinion because I've looked at, at the Greek words and how they're laid out and compared them a little bit. And it says, in the May the, may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and the persistence of Christ. The persistence of Christ. Not the patient waiting for Christ, but the patient waiting of Christ, really. Um, and I, I can be wrong because I'm not an expert at Greek, but experts at Greek have translated it both ways. And from what I can tell, I think the NIV is more accurate. The persistence of Christ. Patience and persistence. Don't fall for a quota-centric evangelicalism. In other words, when you're, when you're in business, everything's about quotas, right? You're trying to meet your quotas. You're trying to meet your goals. You're trying to make sales. You're trying to make money. And if you're doing something and it's not effective, you cut it off. You find something new. You find something that is effective. You do whatever is effective, yeah, sometimes no matter the cost. Um, but if something is not effective, it's worthless to you. You just stop doing it. Why are we wasting our time doing something if it's not working? If Jesus had treated his ministry that way, he would have just left. <laughs> his ministry, in many ways, most people would consider it very ineffective. I mean, yeah, he gathered the crowds, and then he said... Unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no part of me. And they're like, ooh, I don't know about that. And they left. Well, Jesus, you just messed up there. Why would you say that? Like, you're supposed to be drawing them to you. We're getting a following. We're getting a crowd. We're starting a movement. And then you scare them all off by telling them they got to eat you? Like, this is, this is not how it's done. And then, you know, he's healing people who aren't even saying thank you. There's a story of, you know, like 12 lepers. I hope I'm not messing that up because I wasn't planning to talk about that. But 12 lepers... And one comes back and says, thank you. Why'd you even bother with the others? You know, like, do it for the ones that care, Jesus. You know, he heals Peter's stepmother, and he's still, Peter's still making fun of him every Easter here at this church um, for that. <laughs> Those of you that are here on Easter, you get it. Um, <laughs> but but he, he does, you know, we hear about all the miracles and all the ministry does, and then 
Finally, there's this huge crowd around, and what are they shouting? Crucify him! Crucify him! That's an effective ministry. When you spent three years pouring your heart out, pouring your life out, pouring miracles out and teaching out, and then they all just say, crucify him. Okay, let's rewind. Let's start over, Jesus. I don't think you did very well. Let's, let's do your ministry a little bit different. It didn't seem very effective. In fact, one of his own, he picked 12 guys to bring in real close to him. One of them betrayed him. The other one denied him three times. The other is pretty much scattered out too. I mean, they didn't do much better, you know. They all ran off. None of them saw him as God after three years, after pretty much saying it to them a few times pretty openly. They still were like, ah, you know, he had told them about his resurrection. They're like, ah, he's dead now. That really stinks. Well, he had said he was going to. He, I mean, like, how, how much more plain can he make it? And they still don't believe. Not very effective. Don't fall for quota-centric evangelicalism. In your walk with God, the question is not about efficacy. It's about honoring God persistently and patiently. He says, don't grow weary in doing well. How many of you guys have felt a little weary about doing well sometimes? <laughs> because sometimes you're doing all the right things and it doesn't seem like it's working. Does it? You know, you, David complained about this all the time in the Psalms. And he's like, why are the wicked prospering? Why am I like hiding out in a cave because I did the right thing? And then, you know, they've got all the, they've got all the money. They've got all the wealth. They, they seem healthy, you know, like, God, shouldn't this be different? He would complain about it all the time. But the way we live our lives isn't about trying to be effective, to be honest. I mean, if being effective is great, right? We all want to be effective. But we can't grow weary when it doesn't seem like it's working. You do the right thing because it honors God. If nobody else cares, if nobody else is willing to you know, honor you and say, man, you're doing good, I'm proud of you. If nobody else is looking at you and saying that, if nobody else is, is giving you the respect you deserve, if you're being mistreated despite doing the right thing, persist. Don't let your heart get hardened about doing the right thing. Let God guide your heart in the persistence of Christ. That just as Jesus kept going, even when they all left him, keep going. Keep doing the right thing. I, I had a teacher in our youth group when I was a kid. Um, he was from Slovenia or something like that. That's probably, or Czechoslovakia. I don't know. He was, from, he, was, he, was, he was from another country, which was not uncommon where we were. We were at Christ for the Nations at the time. So we had all kinds of, uh, of international students at the school who would participate in, in different uh, programs like the youth groups and things like that. He was, he was the most faithful one I ever saw of that. And he was, you know, he had the great accent to talk like, talk like this and speak most, mostly good English and good, but he would preach anyway, you know, in, and, uh, he was, but he was a great, like, he was just, he was always there. He was always faithful. He was just really kind, sweet man. Uh, he was, he was married with a couple kids and his wife was just kind of stoic, just kind of like always sit there and not, which, you know, you just kind of assume is a cultural thing. Like, okay, maybe, I don't know what the, what, you know, how the women are treated in that country or how they, you know, what, what powerment level they have. Never saw him treat her poorly in the least bit. You know, if anything, I think he was trying to bring her out of her shell, but, you know. Um, and then, you know, they, he had been helping out with the youth group for, for a couple of years at least. And then 
one day, his wife left him, took the kids, and bye. Uh, from every, you know, and you, you never know what happened behind the scenes. So I mean, I, I, I can't, I can't say any judgment really. But everything I saw was he was doing all the right things. He was a faithful man of God. He was kind. He was, he was godly. He was respectful. You know, he was, he was, he was the kind of kind of guy we'd all like to have around. Honestly, you know. Um, and then he was just heartbroken. You know, I mean, as who wouldn't be? You know, losing losing your kids, losing your wife. But he stayed in church and honestly, and kept following God. And honestly, I just, I remember even as a teenager, like I, I, you know, I didn't have a real idea of what it was like to be married or what it was like, you know, much less to go through a divorce, but I could picture in my head all the things that must be going on for him, all the things he must be struggling with, all the, you know, and I was thinking, just my goodness, what a strong man to be able to just get up every morning and keep going and come to church and keep worshiping God and, and say, you know, yes, I, I'm having a hard time. Yes, I'm fighting, you know, trying to get my kids back, but, but I'm going to keep pursuing Jesus. And I've seen it, I've seen it time and time again, uh, with people, even in this church, who've gone through things like that, where they were doing the right thing and things fell apart anyway. But they were persistent. And they decided, I'm not going to let this situation dictate my life. I'm not going to let someone else's mistakes drag me off the right path. I am going to persist. I am going to continue being a man or a woman of God. I'm going to keep doing the right things, whether or not the devil tries to twist them for evil, because I know that in the end, God will work out everything for the good of those who love him and are called according to his name in Christ Jesus. Live a life that honors God for the sake of honoring him, not for the everyday payout, not for the results. When you tell, when you tell your friends and family about Jesus, if they don't get saved, if they don't believe, that's not your fault. That's not your problem. That's not your job. When you pray for somebody and they don't get healed, don't give up. Keep praying for people. You you keep doing the right thing. No matter what the results are, you follow God because you're a man of God. You follow God because you're a woman of God. And God will honor you. If nobody else honors you, God will honor you openly. Someday, you're going to stand before him and he is going to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. He sees everything you're doing. He sees everything you're doing in secret. And he will reward you openly. God's love and Christ's perseverance. Even when, even when we are faithless, God is faithful. Let's, let's go back actually to uh, verse 3. If I can have somebody flip back for me. I told him we weren't going to do any more verses, and I, I lied. I'm sorry, Alan. He's running back there. Uh, sorry, verse 2. Thank you. That, uh, he's asking them to pray for him. He says that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for all men have not faith, or NIV, not all men have faith. Verse 3, but the Lord is faithful, who shall establish you and keep you from evil. Not all men have faith, but the Lord is faithful. Even when you don't have faith, the Lord is faithful. Amen? Amen? Even when you don't have persistence, God is faithful. Even when you are not loving, when you are not activating the love of God in your life, God is faithful. When you are faithless, God is faithful. When you are not faithful, God is faithful. God is faithful. 
He is at the right hand of the Father making intercession for you right now. Jesus is making intercession for you no matter where you're at. If you feel like you're up on the mountain, if you feel like you're doing great with God right now, if you feel like you're in the valley and you feel like you've been beat up, bruised, kicked, you know, God is faithful. Put your faith in Him because He will lift you up. He has not abandoned you. He has not left you. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of Christ. He is faithful. When you are not loving, God is loving. Whether you recognize God's love, you have His love. He loves you endlessly. Whether you recognize God's persistence at working things together for your good, He is. Because God is faithful even when we are not. I want you to, to bow your heads, close your eyes with me for a minute here. Jesus, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for your son, Jesus. I thank you for this incredible picture of love, Jesus. And I thank you that we have that love, God. God, right now, if there's anybody in this room who does feel alone, unloved, hated, rejected, God, I ask that you would cast out those thoughts right now, God, and that you would make them willing to let those thoughts go. Jesus, that they would allow you to direct their hearts in your love today, Jesus. God, that they wouldn't hold on to anger, that they wouldn't hold on to regrets, they wouldn't hold on to bitterness or unforgiveness, that they wouldn't hold on to this view of themselves as an outcast, that they would let it go, and that they would begin to say and see the things about themselves that you say about them, that they are loved, that they are a new creation. You are loved, you are a new creation in Christ Jesus. When you believe in him, the old has passed away and all has become new. And if you have not believed in him before today, but you feel God pricking at your heart and you say, something about this rings true to me. Let me tell you, Jesus really lived, he really died, and he really rose again. And he did it all for you because he loved you. And no matter if you reject him today or accept him today, he is persistent and he will keep pursuing you. But why waste another day? Today is your opportunity. So if you've never accepted him, then I ask that you would just put your hand up, boldly put it up high today, and let us pray with you. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Thank you, Jesus, for a church that loves you, a church that recognizes your love, a church that has accepted your grace and your goodness. Instead of our goodness, instead of our righteousness, your righteousness, Jesus. God, I ask that you would make them persistent in doing good as they leave this place today, Jesus, that you would lead their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, and they, you would establish them in the love of God today. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Stand up, we're going to go out with a shout. Thank you, Father, for blessing your people in their going out just like you bless them in their coming in. Thank you, Father, that you've caused us to be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath, first, not last, the victor, no longer the victim. Thank you, precious Father, that you've caused the mountains and the hills to break forth with singing and the trees of the field to clap their hands as your people go forth armed and dangerous with the word of God. Amen.